Welcome to the C3 Coffs Harbour podcast. Today's message is a recording from our online service. To join our online church community, visit c3ch.online.church and you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook. Enjoy the message. We have been absolutely loving this series and if you are new to it, as I said, we were basing the whole thing off Proverbs 4.23 which says, Above all else, guard your heart. For out of your heart flow all the issues of life. And, and that proverb is profound. That proverb is actually, you know, should make us sit up and stand to attention. Um, sit up and stand to attention, both of those things. And because it's talking about priorities, like above all else, everything else, above your career, above your priorities, above, guard your heart. That's the most important thing we can do. Because from our heart, everything flows. What we allow in our eyes, our ears, and into our heart ultimately will outflow into every area of our life. So this book has been really helpful for us to practically put some disciplines in our life that will help us keep our hearts guarded so that good stuff comes in, so that ultimately good stuff flows out. That we are called to not just be Christians that sit on seats on a Sunday, but we are called to be disciples, followers of Jesus Christ that will go into all the worlds and make more disciples. And, and that's how the thing works, that disciples change the world, they always have, they always will. So we've looked at a bunch of different things um, through meditation, prayer, fasting, study, living simply, solitude, submission, service, confession. Um, and so it's been, like I said last week on the online service, it's, it's been like a doctor's checkup, just checking different areas. How, how are you going with meditation? How are you going with living simply? How are you going with, with fasting? Is that something you just do if the church calls a church-wide fast? Or do you have regular intervals of the discipline of fasting in your world? How do you go with studying the Word? Like, is, 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 your, is your Bible study life, um, you wake up and you open the version app and whatever the verse of the day is, there's your Bible study for the day. And you read that, you feel good, and you go, or do you get into the, the why, the how, the context of study? Um, and I think we get one life, and I would love for us to use that life the best we possibly can to be disciples of Jesus Christ and watch the world change around us. Today we're going to go into our 10th discipline, which is, funnily enough, um, the discipline of worship, which is talking about the gathering of God's people for the worship of Him, which is exactly what we're doing today. And that is no, that is just coincidence that hasn't been weirdly orchestrated or anything like that this is just how the, the dice is rolled where today we're talking about worship gathering together and we haven't been together for so long and so we're going to dive in um, and there's going to be some interesting stuff come out of this chapter and and so be prepared to have an open heart ready to receive be prepared to be challenged I know I was challenged in this so um, when we think of worship we can think of really nice fluffy things but Richard Foster really holds a mirror to some of our intentions so it's gonna be good William Temple, uh, Archbishop of Canterbury from 1942 to 1944, describes worship as this. To quicken the conscience by the holiness of God, to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination by the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God and devote the will to the purposes of God. Isn't that beautiful? I love, like it's so rich and it's so dense. But it covers everything to quicken our conscience to the holiness of God. To feed our mind with the truth of God. To purge our imagination 
I love that word purge. It's like push out, draw out, purge, remove um, our imaginations and have it filled with the beauty of God. I'm not sure about you, but if, if your mind is left un, unattended to, weird stuff just gets in there and just like floods your mind. So purging that with the beauty of God is such a wonderful imagery. Open the heart to the love of God and devote our will to the purposes of God. To worship is to experience reality, capital R. It is to experience life, capital L. It is to know, feel, and experience the resurrected Christ in the midst of a gathered community. It is breaking into the Shekinah of God, or better yet, being invaded by the Shekinah of God. What is the Shekinah of God? It is His glory. It is His presence. And so worship is, is when we enter into the presence, the Shekinah glory of God. But, but it's more than that. It's when His presence breaks through into our heart, into our life. That is when a beautiful moment of worship happens. In John 4, Jesus says the true worshippers will worship God um, in spirit and in truth, for such the Father seeks to worship Him. So God is seeking us to worship Him. God wants us to worship Him. God is desiring us to worship Him in spirit and in truth. Uh, worship is the human response to a divine initiative, that God has initiated a relationship with us. He's initiated that by sending His Son to die on the cross, resurrecting Him from the dead. He's initiated that by giving us life on this planet. He's given us a, a, the planet to enjoy. And all the things God has initiated, waiting for our response to reply to him and worship is the way we do that by saying thank you God for everything you've done thank you for sending your son Jesus thank you for giving me this life thank you for all you have done um, forms and rituals don't produce worship nor does the disuse of forms and rituals we can use all the right techniques and the methods. We can have the right songs. We can have the right order of songs. We can have the fast songs, the slow songs, that, that almost tribal drumbeat right towards the crescendo of the bridge that just like gets your heart pumping. We can have all that in place perfectly, but it's not worship until one thing happens. And this one thing is the most succinct explanation of worship I've ever heard, and it's this. When spirit, capital S, touches spirit, lowercase s. That's worship. When spirit touches spirit, when heaven and earth collide, when our heart meets with God's heart, that's worship. And we can do all these songs, have all these moments, these, and it's great, but if that collision doesn't happen, then it's not worship. And we can take all those things away, and anyway, we'll go, let's go into that later. Singing. Praying, praising, all may lead to worship, but worship is more than any of those. As a result, we need not be overly concerned with the question of what is the correct way to worship. In the New Testament, it doesn't describe anywhere how we should worship. It doesn't give us a formula of which form to use, what song to use, what ritual to follow. It doesn't give us any of that. It just commands us to worship. And I remember um, a bunch of years ago, I had a guy come to me for about five years ago and said, Justin, I think you need to really um, have a look at the songs you're singing in church. I was like, really? Why is that? Are they... Are they biblically incorrect? Are we singing you know, heresy? It's, oh, no, 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 no. It's just I don't think they're right for the presence of God. Like, okay, cool. Explain. He said, well, listen, when I was at Bible college, we were in this meeting, and it was in the 70s, and we sang this song, and, and we started singing it, and the presence of God fell. I'm like, this is awesome. And then I kept singing the song, and I laid down in the presence, and it was all good, and I woke up, Still singing the song, I looked and watched it, it was four hours had passed. It was just this beautiful moment of the presence. So I reckon if we scrap all these fancy new songs you're singing, 
we go back to singing those songs, presence of God's going to fall in this place. I was like, no, I don't think that's how it works. I think you might be caught up on the forms and the rituals and the methods rather than the actual desire to have spirit touch spirit. Um, I said, because it's not about the form. It's not about the method. It's not about which song. It's about are we positioned in a place of expectation to, to receive the presence of God? Because it's not like God's holding back his presence. God is freely waiting to give his presence to us. It's are we leaning in to receive and, and have our heart collide with his, have that spirit touch spirit moment. And, and I said this thing to him. This is, just fell into my spirit like this divine word and I'm not going to take any credit for it I'm just going to all glory to God but I call it the the number nine method I think I call it or the number nine rule and I said to this guy um what two numbers make nine and he said oh, five and four I said does that make six and three wrong no what about seven and two what eight and one all those formulas get the same result which is nine and nine is what we're going for right nine is worship nine is spirit touching spirit so don't tell me that seven and two is the only way to do it, or five and four. And that's why I love the body of Christ. It's so diverse. It's so unique. There are so many expressions of how we have liturgy and how church services are run. And like Anna said, over 2,000 years of church history, it is such a diverse beast. But the end result's always the same. We're always going for spirit, touching spirit, worshiping God together, whether we get it through old psalms and hymns, whether we get it through contemporary Hillsong-style worship, whether we get it through just a couple of people on acoustic guitar. All that stuff is secondary. What is primary is spirit, touching spirit. The number nine rule. I just think that was just important for me to remember. Um, object of our worship. So he breaks in this chapter, he breaks into four different parts. The first part is object of our worship. Jesus says in Matthew 4.10, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. God's made it clear his hatred for idolatries. By placing at the very start of the Ten Commandments, the first commandment, which is this, you shall have no other gods before me, Exodus 20, verse 3. God hates idolatry. He demands that he should be worshipped and we shall have no other gods before him. He is the one, the true, the holy. He is the way, the truth, the life. And here's a good definition of idolatry, in case you're wondering. Two words. Disordered love. That's idolatry. When what we love and desire have affection for is out of order. And if God's not at the top of that list, then anything above him is an idol. I was talking this week to somebody who loves football and loves the sport. And they, they think about it all the time and, and you know, got really bummed this week when the Blues lost. Uh, state of origin, was really disappointed and, um, and emotionally had a response of anger and bitterness. And then felt in that moment God say, hold on a minute. Look at how passionate you're getting about this sport. I don't see that same passion about me. And so he, he said he had this moment that it just God really quickened his spirit, arrested his attention, and he had to sort of say, Look, God, I'm sorry, but I've maybe let my love of football get above my love and desire for you. And I wonder how many of us have got other things in our life that we tolerate or we allow um, that we actually, if, if, if God was to take a stock take of our life, and he goes, actually, those five things you put way more time, effort, energy, and enthusiasm into than me, I reckon there's a bit of disordered love here, which by definition is idolatry. So I think worship, when we understand that God desires us to worship him, have no other gods before him, worship is one way where we make that really clear. Um, 
We worship the Lord not because of who he is, although we do. We also worship God because of what he has done. His goodness, his faithfulness, his justice, his mercy can all be seen in how he deals with his people. And when we see the attributes, the character, the nature of God, who he is and what he's done, man, we can't help but worship. And I kind of think this might be a really harsh statement to make, but if, if we can't see the good things that God has done and it result in worship, then maybe we haven't got a big enough or deep enough understanding of what God actually has done for you and for us. Because Romans 12.1 says that there is the only real reasonable response to what God has done is praise, is worship, is adoration. He goes on to the priority of worship. If the Lord is to be Lord, right? That's an interesting thought. If you have a lord or a king over a kingdom, he has the ultimate authority, right? the ultimate reign, the ultimate power. So if the Lord, if God is to be Lord, like the ultimate, the power and authority of our life, then worship must have priority in our lives. The first commandment Jesus gave was to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. Um, this divine priority of worship is first. Service is second. Worship is first. Service is second. Service as a substitute for worship is idolatry, which is disordered love. And we've seen that in small doses all over the world with COVID. That people's faith has been shaken when they've had the gathering taken away from them. And at the gathering they serve, they do, they're here, they're amongst it, it's all good. But that in and of itself is not what it will take to sustain you as a disciple. An intimate daily relationship with God where spirit touches spirit and we follow in the footsteps of Jesus, that's what will sustain us. And so when we take the Sunday gathering out, what is left, what remains? Can we be sustained by a relationship with Jesus in the meantime? Um, activity is the enemy of adoration. So our first and f- first port of call must be worship, direct contact with God. Secondhand spirituality will not sustain us in the long run. If we long to go where God is going, do what God is doing, be where God is, we will find ourselves going into a deeper and more meaningful and authentic expression of worship. So much to go through here. Preparation for worship. When you read scriptures, which you should, um, you'll find that there's such an expectancy of people to encounter the presence of God when they gathered. When Moses entered the tabernacle, he expected to encounter God, that God would be there, that this is God's house. The disciples in the upper room, they expected the Holy Spirit to fall and the presence of God to fill that space. And they weren't surprised when the building shook. They were there to encounter the presence of God. How many of us come on a Sunday with that expectation? a holy expectation that the presence of God is going to be here, not just for you, but for us collectively to encounter the presence of God. Do we actually anticipate that? See, we, we, we see there's a generation emerging where the, the, the expectation and anticipation is being replaced with skepticism, investigation, Rather than going, am I going to encounter God today? It's like, well, is this the way we should be doing it? Are we doing things right? Like Anna talked about before, there's this question, this reasoning, this, this thing that's happening. Rather than just being expectant that God will move, we, we, there's this thing of questioning everything. Um, 
Contrary to, to Eastern religions, the Christian faith puts so much emphasis, and we read throughout Scripture, on corporate worship. Even under highly dangerous circumstances, the, church, the early church was encouraged to not stop gathering together. So it's important that we gather together. Um, because it's this, this thing called the body of Christ, right? And it's, it's hard to imagine a body functioning without a head, or arms, or legs, or whatever. And, and likewise, it's, it's hard to imagine the body functioning without parts that think that they don't need to be there and they'll go off independently and isolate themselves. It's not how it's designed to work. Martin Luther, the great reformer, oh man, I love this guy. He said this, At home, there is no worth, warmth or vigour in me. Don't forget, this is the guy, right? Just context. This is the guy that sparked the whole Protestant Reformation. Like this is a big dude in church history. Like he's a big deal. At home, there is no warmth or vigour in me. But in the church... When the multitude is gathered together, a fire is kindled in my heart and it breaks its way through. And that's exactly what I felt here today. As you guys started to enter and come in, like Anna said, everyone's smiling and expectant and, and happy. That's exactly what I felt. I felt like there's this, this warmth that just was bursting through to create a flame of holy expectancy. Um, I'm I'm just going to finish there. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more information about our online services, visit c3ch.online.church and come say hi on Facebook and Instagram.